Welcome to Engaging ESG, the new podcast that considers what it takes to get ESG comms right and how it can go oh so wrong. From fears of greenwashing and systemic bias to the backlash against woke investing, the risk of getting ESG wrong can be high, but so can ignoring the concerns of employees, consumers, and our planet. I'm Jennifer Owens, former external content strategy lead for Meta Sustainability. And I'm Katie Callens, former head of sustainability engagement at Meta. In this 10-part series, we'll delve into the complexities of ESG communications by tackling your toughest inquiries. We'll explore the pitfalls and opportunities and share practical answers you and your team can use today as you navigate the evolving landscape of environmental, social, and governance topics. Let's get started. Katie, hello. Hello, Jen. How's it going today? It's going great. I'm excited to talk more ESG comms. Me too. I mean, we're going to start getting into deeper and deeper. We're going to just keep digging down with each successive episode until we cannot see the light. (laughs) Wait, what did I do with that metaphor? I'm sorry about that. I don't know. Let's get out of that hole for a second here. I'm so sorry. So here is my question to you. I have worked on a gazillion reports, like more consumery ones, more data-driven ones, like full-on fresh research ones. How about yourself? What's your experience with reports? Yeah, I have also contributed to a lot of different types of ESG and impact reports. And after all that work of working with all those different stakeholders to get all that information, I always think to myself, who's actually going to read this? Oh my God, I know. And you know that you've poured over every word page by page, and you've read it like so many times. And then you put it out there and like four people download it and it's heartbreaking. And then someone asks you, why aren't more people downloading our report? Right, right. (laughs) It's a question. And, you know, sometimes with these reports though, I find the process of writing them and getting everyone in the room can be half of the battle, right? Because there's a lot of collaboration that can come out of that. But I think today we're going to be talking about the report, but also kind of the range of communications outputs that can be included when we think about an ESG comm strategy. For sure. Like, let's focus on the who and the what. So, because that's a really great way to frame us up. And then we can start pulling these pieces apart with all the five W's and an H and all that sort of jazz. So, Where do you find ESG comms comes in the thinking about when the report is coming together? Where have you typically found that conversation to start? Yeah, I think that it comes in at after there's been a bit of a strategy and some outputs and some metrics and kind of things to talk about, so to speak, where the program has gone. I think as most of us know, it's really table stakes to be releasing these types of reports. But what is challenging is that there's actually quite a quickly moving regulatory environment. So maybe I can get us started with kind of the two buckets that I put ESG comms in. Does that sound good? Yes. Okay. Fill some buckets, man. Fill some buckets. (laughs) So first bucket I'm going to call required. So these are the regulatory filings. These are the proxy statements. These are the things that the government is asking you as a business to produce and are increasingly having sustainability, social impact, ESG components to them. And I'm sure many folks who are listening to this are currently navigating that because there is 
a host of policies coming out of the EU, the CSRD, the US and the SAC filings. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later in the podcast, but that's the bucket of the must do. Then there's, and I would say that's a relatively small bucket right now, but it's growing. Right. The much larger bucket, which is an opportunity, but also a challenge because there's an endless amount of effort you could put into it is the voluntary. So most of the ESG and impact reports that you're seeing from companies are voluntary. They're not being Mm -hmm. required, but they're being asked for and increasingly becoming table stakes. Right. Then you also have a series of interviews articles, thought leadership. These are the different kind of written and auditory podcasts, Mm -hmm. pieces of content that you are also kind of crafting to help get out your story and help kind of proactively tell folks what you're up to and where you're going. And then there's the more interactive piece, which I know, Jen, you and I have a lot of fun doing. And that's whether it's internal workshops or convenings, fireside chats, but then also on the external side, getting peers and other individuals kind of yeah, in the room with to partners talk about. and yeah mm-hmm. and the like and and I you know the one that uh is also part of this is pitching this story mm. and yes. putting it media relations and PR. Yes, definitely. You know, which is you sh- I think of it as content as well e- even though it's a very different skill, but it's still and then speeches, you know, you start to it starts to spread yes. out and diversify all the different ways that if you've gotten this, your narrative right in the first place, it's much easier to do than having to create it whole cloth every single opportunity. But Completely. And I think the important note that you just made is depending on if you yourself as an organization are authoring or leading the conversation, you're going to have a very different tone than if a partner is talking about you. Right. And so having clarity there around that is important because if you don't have a clear strategy or communications priorities, how are folks going to help you tell your story? For sure. Completely. So that's the what or the how, you know, how you're going to tell the story. But let's focus on the who, because there's many players that get involved. Because even though these are voluntary, you've got the who that's internal, that's going to look over every word that you write and make sure that it's, you know, it jives with what the company says and supports and the like, but also the who of the audiences you're targeting for it. Yeah, definitely. One way that I think about stakeholder mapping, which is what we're starting to allude to and really think about, which if anyone listening has done comp strategy, you've thought about market segmentation and how mm-hmm. you're focusing key messages is really from kind of the like lowest level of detail, perhaps the way to think about it, like the most generalist messaging to the most detailed messaging because clearly those are very different levels of information and tone. And I think all are important, but it can sometimes get lost because I see teams being really effective at either the high level messaging or the like really SME, subject matter expert, super focused messaging. And so finding the right balance and by prioritizing those stakeholder groups can save you a lot of time. So I'll start. It's so important because some of those audiences speak much louder to you than others. You know, (laughs) even though the The goal is to get other audiences, when it's your boss's boss's boss talking, you know, it's like, oh, all hands on deck. So, yeah, totally, totally, yeah. So I can get us started with a couple of the stakeholders that come top of mind, and then maybe hand it over to you, Jen. Yeah, great. I love it. So when I think about the highest level of information. 
and like really kind of visioning and talking about what is the company doing and why is it important from like a basic values understanding. The audience that comes to mind is really customers and employees. So if folks are reading an article or listening to an executive talk about this work, they likely have some basic understanding of, let's say, the climate crisis or opportunities in philanthropy or concerned about diversity and inclusion. And so they're coming into this with a basic understanding of the topic, but probably not much else. They probably don't work in the space. They probably don't know the nitty gritty details. And so really trying to meet them where they're at in terms of that understanding and the information exchange is super important. Referring back to our 140-page climate report or ESG (laughs) report, they're probably not reading that. But if you are able to find them where they are already ingesting content, like internally, we had this channel for updates. Externally, you know, as you noted, there was the meta-owned channels. I think Mm -hmm. that can be a great opportunity to engage. And I think don't be afraid to really simplify things. And if they want more detail, then you have this 140-page report. But just being really thoughtful about how much information they're coming to this with and that this is an opportunity for education, socialization, and to bring them in as advocates, you know, because... If it's internal employees, maybe they're going to raise their hand and work on a project. If it's customers, maybe that's a signal boost to the marketing and sales teams. So, yeah. Right. I I mean, you know, because in the the world of social media, if they're going to do a tagged post and say something nice about you, that's the dream to say, hey, I'm really, you know, this is an interesting thing that they've put out. Or did you know that they did X? It, you know... Certainly, you can do sponsored paid partners that way, but to have someone organically say, I was impressed by something in their report, for me, that's the dream. Definitely. And I'll share a corollary internally that I experienced sometimes where we would work very hard to develop a whole bunch of programming for, let's say, Earth Day. And we work very hard to get an executive to post on our company-wide channels about that work. And the trail of posts of employees saying, wow, I can't believe Meta is doing this work. Wow, I'm so proud to work here right. during really challenging cultural and economic times is going to look it's really gold. impressive to the yeah. internal comms team. And they're going to say, wow, I want to keep working with the sustainability team. Like we're going through a tough time and people are still really excited and positive about that. Like this must really resonate. And so it can kind of create a little bit of that flywheel effect of, continuing the conversation yeah. and getting more opportunities to communicate. For sure. For awesome. Sure. So that's what we talk about, kind of highest level information, customers and employees. I'll then transition to thinking about some other key internal stakeholders. So one I want to highlight, which is, once again, a huge opportunity space, but can definitely be a challenge, is communicating with executives. So mm-hmm. maybe a little similar to kind of the customer and employee base, they're going to be looking for another high-level information, executive briefings. Hopefully, you and your team are at a place where you can be doing quarterly updates and also potentially presenting to the board on an annual or semi-annual basis. But what's really key here is about how do you frame the content? In what way does this executive or does this board want to hear information? And how do you ensure that you're really framing it up to a, a system and a template that's familiar to them 
because if this topic is pretty new, at least it's coming in a familiar package. And that will really be a boon for kind of getting them on board. What we also see around executives is they're really interested in what scores is the company getting around readers and readers. We all want good grades. And so the minute you don't have a good grade, grade, they're like, well, why, why didn't we get an A? Right. And we'll go into some more details about what we mean by readers and rankers. But I think it's helpful to know that there are these external groups that are assessing companies and giving scores and grades that unsurprisingly, the competitive leaders of these organizations are interested in. And they also want to know, okay, what did our peer companies get? How do we stack up? Because once again, grades out of the playground, everyone just wants to know that they are smarter and better (laughs) than everyone else. I do think it's an interesting balance if you're early on your journey of socializing executives to kind of give them an understanding of how the ratings and rankings play into the larger strategy, but that at the end of the day, this is not a score exercise. I think, unfortunately, sometimes folks can get really caught up with, you know, I want to get an A on CDP. I want to get the score. And they'll really, unfortunately, feel like they need to create a program around chasing a score yeah. Whereas scores are really just an indicator of how comprehensively your organization is prioritizing the right environmental, social, and governance topics and acting on that. And yeah. so that can be an opportunity where you can sometimes get diverted. I think we've probably all been there. And one oh, other thing to. And that yeah, narrative story of that grade, it just to be hardcore, is only going to last you for a little while. I mean, certainly yes. it's, a, it's a story you want to <laughs> tell, but. You really only could tell it once and then reference it in the future. But it's not like it's very important. We should be all getting good grades, but it's not going to feed the beast that is comms. Yes. And two more things to note on that without going into a ton of detail about the rating <laughs> systems. One is that they're incredibly subjective, they're measuring companies on what's hoping to be like objective levels, but there inherently is subjectivity to them. The other thing to note is if we go back to just the last stakeholder group, employees and customers, they don't really understand them. They don't really know. It's not going to add legitimacy. So it's something that executives can hone in on and it's always going to be important, just like stock price, you know, and like earnings. It's, It's another number. It's another rating in which organizations can be measured apples to apples. But if you can early on with your communications with executives, help them not just focus on that, that yeah. will save you and your team oh, a lot of time. <laughs> because yeah. the other big fear and things and warning that I have with executive communications is be wary of them falling into the weeds. Mm-hmm. Yep, We have all had amazingly thoughtful, smart executives that don't understand one component of an ESG strategy or how we're communicating to them that work. And so they think, ah, okay, this is the moment for me to dive deeply into. Yeah. During uh, this group meeting where there's like 30 other people on the call. The methodology of water stewardship assessment or how we're aligning with the GHG protocol or, you know, I'm sure we could give you a host of other examples. And there's some executives that are always going to want to go into the weeds. And so that's, that's a whole nother conversation. But I think if you can do a lot of prep before you're talking with your executives about how to 
best reach them and be proactive and avoid a weed wormhole yeah. <laughs> at all costs. That will save you and your team a lot of time. And hopefully you'll start to get feedback after some of those conversations about what resonated, what didn't. Maybe you need to give them a very detailed pre-read. Yep. Once you get the executives on board and also you know input from board members, that's going to just add so much legitimacy to the work of yeah. you and your team. And will kind of accelerate the actual work that's being done internally. Right. Really, there is a reason why we call it lost in the weeds because you know you're not making any progress at that point. Which <laughs> definitely. <laughs> so one more stakeholder that I'm going to chat about, and then I'll hand it over to you, Jen, is thinking about partner teams. So as mentioned. When we're creating a lot of these voluntary deliverables, be it an ESG impact report, a news article, a speaking opportunity, we're often drawing upon partner teams to provide information, data, act as speakers, etc. And this is often work that they're doing on top of their day jobs and isn't always going to be maybe the highest priority for them. But I think this is a great opportunity to build trust and relationships to show that this is a great mirror and spotlight for the work Mm -hmm. that they're doing that will create more momentum. And I'll also note that sometimes these teams, we get them in the room and they're like, oh, great, we're doing a report. Here are the 27,000 minor programmatic achievements. (laughs) Of our report, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's wonderful and great. And we love that proactive storytelling. But it's also then another socialization and education exercise. <laughs> I mean, I would prefer someone coming into yeah, the room with sure. a lot of highlights story. than someone oh coming in and yes. saying like, oh, I don't know what I want to talk about. Right. Yeah. That is much harder. Yeah. It's definitely two ends of it. And and I think one of the great joys of like the last five years at Meta was that I got to work a lot with different teams who were incredibly impressive in the work that they Mm -hmm. were doing. And I got to help coach them on how to talk about that work. And I really got to see such an amazing transition of some colleagues in particular who were maybe a little bit nervous about public speaking or didn't really understand why employees or executives would want to hear about their work and just get to learn no, this is incredibly valuable. Such this a story, is, right? This is yeah. a story to tell. And and then maybe a, a year later, they were coming to me with like, okay, here are the three things we could talk about right. at this next event. Or here are the three stories. And I'm sure you too also experienced that, Jen, as you were training people in this like content mapping. Oh, for sure. You know, like, because you, you know, the phrase we always use is thought leadership. And right that's a loaded term in the sense of like, you know, cause you've got leader in it and then I have to have thoughts and then like, how do I, yeah, I have so many thoughts. And so yeah, helping them shape. And what was so impressive at Meta is how many of our amazing subject matter experts would all wrote their own stuff, which is not the usual thing for a lot of executives. And, and there's no harm in that we all have certain skills and the like, but to come and say, I have thoughts, I want to do it, and then be open to my expertise as the editing. So let me let me help you shape it. And I do know that there were a couple times where I came through and there was a little bit of a shock, and then you sat with it for a day, and I was right. No, no. I'm- <laughs> <laughs> well, it helps because we're not 
in depth with we're the in work. Not in those weeds. We're in our own. We're weed. not in those weeds. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I think once you can kind of build that rapport and trust that, yeah. hey, we're going to go through a couple drafts of this. You will make it better. That's and I always I authentically believe that that you know I'm going to do a first pass on something, but please make it better. Please make it better. That's our goal here, and that Definitely. you're proud of it when it goes because my stuff is going out to the public. So I want you to feel confident, and then I want you to want to share it because your networks are always more valuable than the company networks. They may be bigger, but yours are more engaged and. And this is, you do me better when you share it on your own network. So I don't want you to create something that you're scared to share, you know? Totally. So in talking about that, of like the every department having 20 stories and a zillion facts, I mean, I think that's where the transition is coming right now as we move into having ESG reports is that you have a company like Meta or Amazon or any of these big companies or even older companies having a DE&I report, a human rights report, a sustainability report, blah, blah, you know, 8 million reports. And so then you come through and you're saying, this all should be under one umbrella. Maybe not the work, but the how we tell the story together. And I think that's a report, a voluntary reporting transition moment that we're in right now is saying, Let's bring it all in and have a through line. Now, it comes at a cost because you can't have, you know, if the DE&I report was 100 pages and the human rights report was 100, you know, like we can't just stitch them together. There has to be editing. I'm just warning all of our listeners, there will be edits. And it forces us to have to have delicate conversations about what gets left behind for the ESG report. And it doesn't necessarily mean that that content doesn't appear. It just may not be in this report because, you know, if you have a uh, public facing websites for sustainability, there was all kinds of great stories we could then use as another way to get into these topics and reference in the report. So you can be quicker in the report and go more detailed in the site. And so you're using your different, that's the content mapping. You're, you're having the different lovers that you can pull to tell an overall story. And then, you know, you see companies doing impact reports instead of ESG reports. And honestly, I, I'm not, to me, it's a, it's a bit of a mid-step, which could be totally necessary because this is a lot to ask these mega global companies to like put it all in one big bucket. But it tends to be kind of documenting the impact that you're having and the good works that you're doing, maybe a little less metrics driven at this point, you know, of things you want to commit to that you've, you've uh, achieved or the like it. I don't know. I think of the, the impact reports as kind of like a stepping stone to a full fledged ESG report. And there's no full definition like that one is this and the other is that, but I think it's, um, do you agree that it's kind of a midpoint? Yeah, I think it kind of depends on how ESG and impact work is being driven at the company. Yeah. If there is executive fears about the politicization of ESG or maybe right. a misunderstanding of what ESG stands for, I can see organizations probably shying away from that word because mm -hmm. as yeah. a lot of practitioners have noted, like ESG as an umbrella term makes sense when you're close to this work, but outside it's a little bit confusing. And so it, I think it can be 
impact report can be a good marketing term for folks, depending on once again, who are the key stakeholders that you're reaching. And I think next, maybe we can talk a little bit about like, who is the report for? Like, Exactly. Because, you know, this is all, all of this discussion is internal, but it, the yes. whole point is to create content that's external. And right. And what so made me laugh, is- yeah, mm-hmm. is that your view of external was different from my view of external, which was hilarious. Oh. <laughs> okay. Well, there we go. We're learning along the way. <laughs> yeah. So mine are customers, users, yes. our partners, you know, because a lot of Meta had a lot of partners. Every company has partners. There's no way you're going to do all this. And also the partners lend validity, legitimacy to the work that you're doing. And then, you know, influencers and creators, especially in the sustainability space and the diversity space, very powerful. They're really setting the tone on where the conversation is going. But you had other ones that were also good to think about. Yeah, you know, I think one of the things that I really learned the last couple of years working on the report at Meta was that you create this huge report, as noted, and the average, you know, Jane Doe is not going to be reading it. But there are folks who spend a lot of time reading these reports and really looking for specific information. So it's not just kind of narrative strategy prioritization, which is super important to put into a report but also specific data tables. Mm -hmm. There are investors, readers, and rankers that if they don't see that data in your report, they assume it doesn't exist. They're looking at that appendix. That appendix is there. They're flipping to the back of the book. (laughs) Exactly. And that's because that is how they can start to compare and contrast these companies, apples to apples. And it's not a perfect system, but if everyone is sharing the same level of information and quality of information that's been audited, that does start to really show to these investors and some other external raiders and rankers and these other companies that like, okay, it's not greenwashing, quite frankly. Like you yeah. can say that you're doing a lot of things in a report. You can say what your intention is, but are you on track to hit, let's say your net zero 2030 goal? Have you done, you know, a science-based target? Mm-hmm. How are you like adding legitimacy and data to these broader narratives, which can sound quite hollow if they don't have the data right. to back them up? I used to say when I was doing the best companies initiatives that we told a good story, but it was a real story. Mm. And I think it that approach holds here. You're allowed to tell a good story about yourself, but it better be backed up by some real numbers. So, yes. And I think one last note on the importance of numbers is sometimes the numbers are going to tell a story that companies aren't always excited to tell. I think sometimes you, you know, are tracking towards a goal and then something happens in the industry or with your product or with whatever. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of lose, you lose track and maybe you don't have as much progress as you've wanted to. And I'll just really caution folks from shying away from telling those stories because I actually think those can be some of the most powerful stories to tell in reports because everyone has had that experience of falling short of a goal or an objective and not making progress. And if you're able to own up to that, to share where you fell short, why you think it happened, and where your company or team is going from there. Yep. That is going to provide so much legitimacy and authenticity to the voice of everything else that you share because it shows that you're not shying away from talking about the hard things. 
That could not be truer. And you know that also if you shy away from it, this is the the cold reporter in me is going to say to you that if it's a big deal, if you don't get ahead of it, someone is going to tell that story. So just saying right from the get-go, you ought to think about what the challenge is and how you want to talk about it and do it authentically, which is just going to be a through line for everything we're talking about in this the series for sure. So definitely. And so much of this work hasn't been done before. So there's also yeah. shouldn't be an expectation that you have figured out how to totally reduce your scope three emissions yeah. in all parts of your supply chain very easily, or you haven't figured out how to get a bunch of leaders of color into your organization. Like these are really big challenges that a lot of companies are grappling with. Yep. The more you can come forward with a tone of humility and learning, the more you're going to come off to, I think, each of the stakeholders we talked about today with authenticity and grace. So our upshot is that these reports are totally important. I mean, we're not saying not to do them at all. We, we Please do them. And they show the work. They show the commitment. They show the narrative. They're kind of like your flagship store, right? That you can see the entire landscape of everything you're producing and everything you're working towards. So as we come to the end of this episode, we're going to flip and talk about how we want to reach and influence all those stakeholders, internal and external, with our content. But that's a whole other story. So we're going to end on a cliffhanger. (laughs) Awesome. Can't wait till the next conversation. Until then, thank you for joining us on Engaging ESG. Have a question for us to consider or a strategy you'd like us to cover? Email us today at engagingesg at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Engaging ESG today. It helps us grow. And even better, be sure to share the podcast with your favorite sustainability, diversity, or social impact colleague. And until next time, keep engaging.